Get that coffee. Get those Bibles out. Turn them to John 1. We used to always mention, and we always forget to, if you don't have a Bible and you need one or would like one, we have some on our resource table in the back. If you don't have one, we'd love for you to take one. Let that be a a gift to you from us. But we are going to continue on in John 1 today. Quick shout out to all my friends wearing green today. I appreciate you all getting the memo, apparently. There's a lot of green. Uh, Eric said red next week, so just lock it in. Thanks for braving the snow. Got to have a nice winter wonderland when we leave here in, I don't know, two hours of here when I'm done with my sermon. Uh, So drive safely. Glad you guys came. And uh, Dean and Jan, thank you so much for what you shared. That was... That was great. Once again, I feel like, do I need to say anything? That was so good. I'm glad you both are alive. I know it'd be great to go home, but I'd rather have you around for a couple more years. Uh, last week, I got handed off Mike's sermon at the last minute. So Mike, do you want to trade right now real fast? And I've had so many people ask me if, are you going to have Mike preach yours? Okay. All right. I'll, I'll do this one today too. I'm excited to do this. We're going to be in John 1, continuing our Advent series as we look through the first chapter of John's gospel. Uh, last week, we, list, we looked at just the first five verses, which is this incredibly rich and theologically deep passage as uh, John makes the case from the get-go that Jesus is God, that he's always existed as God, that he's a creator of all things, and that he brings life and light to the world. The apostle John wastes no time in making sure his readers understand who this book is about and who Jesus actually is. And the way John builds the case will will continue to go on in chapter one, especially in uh, our next two sermons that we'll look at from this passage. And it seems like John's building momentum and continuing to describe the majesty of Jesus. But today, in the the three verses, just three verses today that we're going to look at, it almost seems at first glance like John accidentally hit the copy-paste button in the wrong place of of his, his gospel. It feels jarring to jump from last week's opening paragraph to three verses about someone who is definitely not Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to read uh, the first five verses along with our three verses today. I think reading that in one giant chunk really gives us a sense of what John is aiming to accomplish in today's passage. So let's read John 1, 1 through 8. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's today's passage. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So there's a lot going on here with what John is doing. And I want us to get a feel of, again, that jarring nature of those three verses. It's caused a lot of writers to try to figure out, why did John put verses six through eight here in this spot? Because it really does feel out of place, especially when you you read verse five and then you jump to verse nine. It seems like that would be a better, more natural way to go. Let's look at that. If you read verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then skip down to verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So there you see the idea of light just, just keeps going along. But instead, 
John puts these three verses, which has caused everyone to scratch their heads and say, what are you doing? What's, what's the plan here? Why did you put this in here about John the Baptist at this very moment? What is the purpose for this? Now, what if I said, I don't know, and I just moved on? That would be a little bit jarring. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate you. I get one laugh, but I appreciate it. Yeah, that'd be weird if I was like, yeah, I don't know why I did that. No, I, I think I have an idea uh, of, of there's a reason, there's an intentionality to why the Apostle John puts this here. And while it might read smoother to, to keep the theme of Jesus being the light going, this sharp contrast between Jesus who is the light and the man John who is not the light gives us insight to, to really the rest of the book of John, everything he's going to do moving forward, and also has great application for us today. So we're going to break down today's passage. Our outline is pretty simple. It's just using our three verses here, and it, it kind of lays it out for us. In verse 6, we see that there is a man sent by God. In verse 7, our, our second point, he was a witness to the light. And in verse 8, he was not the light. It kind of sums it all up right there. So first, there was a man sent by God. Let, let's read verse 6 again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So again, the first five verses focus on the eternal nature of Jesus, of calling him word or logos we talked about last week. He's the very message of God. He's light and life. He's equal with God in every way. He's fully divine. He's fully God. Everything that was made, uh, he made. It was made through him. There is not anything made that wasn't made by him. And then the sharp contrast here in verse six, there was a man. So it's an intentional reverse right here. We're talking about God and we're talking about the light, the light that is the word and the light is the creator. And by the way, there's a man. And we've gone from Jesus being the eternal God, the revealer of God, the revealer of light and life to, hey, there's a man also. Now he's an important man, but he's just a man. And what's interesting in this gospel is what is said about him and what is not said about him. In the other gospels, the John who is described, which let me, this is a little bit confused, make sure we understand. The John who's described in verses six through eight is not the same John who wrote the gospel of John. John is a common name. You might know a couple Johns today. There might be, I don't know, four or five sitting in this room right now today. So the John who wrote this gospel, he was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He's also known as, referred to as the beloved disciple in this gospel. This John being described is most commonly referred to as the baptizer or John the Baptist, or as my brother Eric Wood would put it, JTB. So I'm not going to refer to him as JTB through the rest of this sermon, although that might be a fun way to do No, I won't do it. All right, so he's never called that though in this gospel. He's never called John the Baptist. Instead, you're gonna see him called the witness. That's his primary importance. He's not described as the baptizer, he is the witness. So everything is going to explain him in those terms. If you take note of the, of the function that's ascribed to him, it, it's a key function. And we see it, the beginning of this with the word sent in verse six. He is just a man, but he's not any man. He's been divinely commissioned by God. He's a man sent by God. He's God's spokesperson. He's come and he's going to make some important declarations. At this point in biblical history, when, when Jesus is showing up on the scene, when John the witness is showing up on the scene, it's been almost 400 years since anyone has heard the voice of God. 
But now John the witness is on the scene with the most important message that has ever been given by God. And what's amazing about this is John the witness is prophesied about by other prophets in the Old Testament. If you look at Isaiah 40, three through five, we read a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John is the voice in the wilderness that Isaiah is prophesying about 500 years earlier. He's preparing the way of the Lord, the way of Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh because Jesus is God. And Malachi 3.1, which is the last uh, prophet that the people hear from of God before 400 years later, in Malachi 3.1, God himself says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That's John the witness being talked about. Another modern day theologian by the name of Toby Mack described John the witness like this. There's a man from the desert with naps in his head. The sand that he walked was also his bed. The words that he spoke made the people assume there wasn't too much left in the upper room. With skins on his back and hair on his face, they thought he was crazed by the locusts he ate. You see, the Pharisees tripped when they heard him speak until the king took the head of this Jesus freak. What? Sorry, I want to watch it. That's from one of the greatest young people, 1993 DC Talk album, Jesus Freak perhaps the greatest Christian album of all time. Ask your parents for the cassette tape on the way home. This, this is John the Witness, a man sent by God for the design purpose of preparing the way of the Lord, of pointing people to Jesus. And this ties right into verse seven in our second point, which is where we're gonna spend the majority of our time this morning. He was a witness to the light. Let's, let's look at verse seven again. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Bearing witness or testifying is one of the major themes of the gospel of John. And I think a reason why these verses are where they are. In the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we call the synoptic gospels, those three gospels combined use the phrase bearing witness twice, only two times. In John's gospel, it's used 33 times. I say that's an important theme, bearing witness, that he repeats this over and over and over again. Um, and, and that makes sense when you think back to the purpose and reason that John wrote this gospel. We, we touched on this briefly last week. If you remember in John 20, 30 and 31, John the author gives us his purpose statement for why he wrote this account of Jesus's life. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John the witness is going to have the job to bear witness and testify that Jesus is the light. He's going to be the witness of saying, here is the Son of God. He is the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, as those Old Testament prophets said. John the witness has a very important role. And when the true light comes, it's his job to recognize him as the true light. He has to identify who he is first and then go around pointing people to the light and say, he is the light. He's the one. 
He is the lamb, the word, the truth. I'm giving my witness that he is who he says he is, and he's the one that we need to follow. So John has been given this purpose. This goal has been commissioned by God to recognize when the light comes and then to point people to the light. And if you want to hear something really crazy that ties the idea of John the witness into the Advent story, the coming of Christ, we'll just turn back a few pages. Go to Luke 1, 39 through, through 45. There we get a different account of John the Baptist's, in Luke's gospel, John the Baptist's uh, account of his birth. Uh, John's dad and mom, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were very old. They were without children. Zachariah is told by an angel, the first time someone hears from God in 400 years, that he's going to have a son, and he's, he's going to be named John, and he's going to point to the coming of the Messiah. Shortly after this, Elizabeth gets pregnant, and shortly after that, her cousin, Mary, might have heard of her, also becomes pregnant. Read, read what happens when Mary comes to visit Elizabeth in Luke 1, 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That's John. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's John the witness leaping for joy in the womb when he is in proximity to his baby cousin, his second cousin, right? Is that what it, yeah, because, yeah, second cousin. His second cousin, Jesus, they're related. His second cousin, Jesus, the light of the world, the creator of the universe, the savior of our sins, the lamb of God is in Mary's womb. John is in Elizabeth's womb. And when he sees the Messiah, he feels the Messiah near him. He starts leaping for joy. He's already testifying to who is the one that he's preparing the way for. I'd say that's a pretty solid argument for pro-life right there in those couple verses. And if you finish the birth narrative of Jesus in Luke 2, you know what else we see? People bearing witness to the light. The angels testify to the shepherds who is being born in Bethlehem. We, we sang that in a song. The shepherds run to see who is born and then they, they praise God and go tell everyone about what has happened. Eight days later in the temple, Simeon and Anna in the temple bear witness to the child in front of them that's being presented to them. The Advent season, the Advent story should be a testimony to who has come and what he has done. John the Apostle's gospel will use many different types of witnesses to point to Jesus as the light, but John the witness is the first one being tasked with this job. I want to reference some other passages in John. I'm not going to read them. But John 8, 12 through 18 will show Jesus saying that God the Father himself is a witness to who Jesus is. In that same passage, Jesus says he himself is witness enough to test about, testify about who he is because of where he comes from. He's the eternal Lord. He has always existed. He created all things. In John 10, 25, Jesus says the works, the miracles he performs are bearing witness to who he is. John 9, 25 shows that the people who encountered Jesus and experienced the miracles of Jesus testify to who he is. John 15, 26 and 27 tells us that the Holy Spirit will be sent as a helper to bear witness about Jesus. And he follows it up by saying that the disciples will bear witness because they have been with Jesus since the beginning of his ministry. 
all of these people, all of these things are bearing witness to the same thing, that Jesus is the light. And why are they bearing witness to this? Well, it's because of that second part of verse seven and the main purpose for John the apostle even writing this gospel, so that all may believe. This is the first reference to believing in John's gospel. It's gonna show up another 97 times. It's kind of important to John, this idea of believing who Jesus is. The work that John the witness is going to do is bring about faith and belief and the people who listen to him so that they put their trust in Jesus. They will believe that Jesus is the true light, that he is the Messiah, the savior, the deliverer, not just of Israel, but of the whole world. John is to direct everyone to the light and not just simply run around saying, here's the light, here he is, that's him. But through the testimony he gives that people will believe that he is the light. As John the witness testifies so that people believe Jesus is the light, John the Apostle will continue to focus on the importance of belief throughout his account, culminating in the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Belief is everything in this gospel and in our own lives. I want us to see that when belief is talked about, this is not... Uh, describing that what John the witness is trying to do is just get everyone to simply acknowledge, oh yeah, that's Jesus, I I know that guy. That's not his goal. His goal goes beyond mere acknowledgement to recognizing Jesus as the light, recognizing him as the true son of God, to surrender and fully trust him with your life. That's the idea that belief is looking at, not just mere acknowledgement, not just, yep, that guy's Jesus, but it's calling for a radical life change. So people will not just believe him, but they will serve him and surrender their lives to him. If you're someone here who, who merely acknowledges, yeah, I, I know about Jesus. He's really important. He, he taught great stuff. We should all listen to that. The world would be different if we listened to what Jesus taught. Or maybe even say, yeah, I know Jesus is God, but that's the end for you. It's, it's more than that. That's not enough. We know that even demons acknowledge Jesus as God because it's a true fact. They understand the truth of, yeah, Jesus is God, but they don't recognize, trust, and follow Jesus as the God of their life. If Jesus is not the God of your life, is not the one that you live for, the one you're willing to give everything up for, the one who is your light, then I beg you to, to, to truly recognize who he is and submit yourself to him. That's what John the Witness is doing making sure people recognize that Jesus is the light in the darkness. Now, that's an interesting phrase, being a light in the darkness. Imagine if we were to turn out all the lights in here right now, and it just became uh, pitch black dark. Unfortunately, I do not have anything rigged to say, turn off the lights now to do that. But it's pitch black dark in here, and then someone turns on uh, a flashlight. Would you need someone to give testimony to the light and say, hey, everyone, just so you know, there's the light. No, it'd be obvious, right? If this was a pitch black room, someone turns on a flashlight, you're gonna see exactly where the light is. So to give testimony about light is actually an extremely strange idea. If you are in darkness and a light is shining, why would someone need to run up uh, and say, there's the light, there's the light. No one wakes up at 6 a.m. every morning and yells, the sun's up, everybody, we have light, there it is, you see it? Yeah, I see it. It woke me up. I'm aware that there is a light out of my window right now. So why would someone need to testify to give witness about the light? Well, 
only people who can't see need to be told about the light. And that is what is at the heart of the gospel. Only people who cannot see, who are spiritually blind, they need someone to point and say, there's the light. This is why John the witness is divinely commissioned by God to give witness and bear testimony that Jesus is the light. It's because we are in darkness and we can't comprehend the light. If, uh, it's John the, the witness's purpose to grab people by the hand and show them the light and say, here is the light, now you can see. And this goes back to, to verse five from last week, that there was this dual nature of what's going on there. Uh, it says in verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness have not overcome it. But some of your translations might say the darkness does not comprehend it. If you remember, we talked last week that this is an ambiguous word, that it goes both ways. It can be translated both ways. And I think John, the author, intended it to be that way. When you shine a light in the dark, does the dark ever win? No, right? The light always penetrates the dark. It always overcomes it. Well, Jesus, who is the light, has, is, will, and continues to overcome the spiritual darkness of this world. Satan and sin and death, they've already been defeated. It's over. Jesus won. Jesus has brought the means for peace. We talk about peace. Peace between us and God through his sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. We can overcome the darkness of our sin with the light of Jesus saving and transforming us. But at the same time, until we recognize Jesus as the light and believe and put our trust in him, we are in darkness and we can't comprehend the light. Think of friends or, or family members, neighbors, our city, our state, our nation, our world, and the darkness that still persists in it. Well, why does it? It's because they don't understand Jesus, the light and life of the world. And they won't until someone comes along and says, there is the light. This is the one that you've been missing and waiting for. Let me show you who this Jesus is. The word and life and light are going to spread through the witness of human beings and no other way. Things are written, or these things are written that you might believe, John 20, 31. Who wrote them? A man sent from God, also named John. When Jesus prays for us, the high, the high priestly prayer, John 17, 20, how does he say that we today, he's talking about us in the future, will come to faith and salvation? He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, the word that's going to be passed down. Humans who bear witness to Christ with words will be the means of everyone who comes to faith in this world. That's the plan. There is no other plan, no plan B. The word and the life and the light are coming into the world, but they're not gonna conquer this darkness in a flash, like a, a lightning bolt quickly flashing in the sky. No, they're gonna conquer it by one witness of the light, spreading the light to another, who spreads it to another, who spreads it to another, and so on and so on and so on. If you think about our, our uh, candlelight Christmas Eve service of how we end that, we start by taking a flame from the Christ candle and we begin to pass that light to each person beside us and the person behind us until eventually the entire room is filled with people holding on to the light. Think of your own spiritual journey. Everyone in here who has come to saving faith in Jesus did so because someone bore the witness of the light to them, right? My parents testified to me. 
My mom's parents testified to her and their parents testified to them. And and there's this long lineage on my mom's side of the family of people serving and loving Jesus and training their kids in the way of the Lord. My dad, he was different. He didn't comprehend the light. He was a staunch atheist in high school who would it was famous for getting in debates with one of his Christian friends that people would stand around and watch. But that friend kept sharing the light with my dad. And then an older guy at, at a lumber mill that my dad worked at after high school, he shared the light. And now he worried of what would happen to my dad if he were to pass away before knowing Jesus. So my dad saw the light in his car at a red light on the road to Damascus, Oregon. But he did see the light on the road to Damascus. He's got a Paul journey. And then shortly after that, he surrendered his life to full-time ministry, which he's been doing for, he's old. I won't tell you how old he is. Well, who was a witness to these two guys that witnessed to my dad? Man, I have no idea. I don't know who it was, but I can't wait to thank all involved in that spiritual heritage when I meet them in heaven. In fact, all of us can trace our spiritual journey back to John the witness testifying about the light out in the desert. There was a man that was sent. There was a person. There's always a person involved, a person like you and a person like me. John is showing from the very beginning of his gospel that human witnesses to Christ are always necessary. We serve, uh, or, or we serve a, a saving and sending God. He provides the foundation of our salvation in Jesus Christ, and he provides the means of our salvation through those whom he sends. Now, please don't miss this. God is at work now, today, moving his witnesses through the, word, the world, making them a key component of his saving work. So this should make us want to look at, at Jesus and be like Isaiah, say along with him, here I am, send me. Believing in the light through, or excuse me, believing the light happens through a witness to the light. There's no other way. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Someone has to tell someone the word of Christ for them to hear and have faith. We are all called to be witnesses to this light. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the great commission, Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascends back to heaven. He gives us the mission to share with the world who he is. Acts 1, 8 gives us the calling to start at home and work our ways to the ends of the earth with the message of peace that the gospel brings. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6, sees Paul calling on the church at Corinth and to us to preach the gospel of light to a dark world. Let me read that one for us. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. That's us walking in the light. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light, light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ." John the witness came to bear witness to the light so that all might believe through him. And our job is the same today. But we also should remember point three. 
And that is that he was not the light. John was not the light, and neither are we, right? We can, can go farther with that. Look at verse 8 again. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, that verse seems redundant if you look at it. What, what does it add to verse 7 to say that he came to bear witness to the light? You already said that, John. You've already told us who the light is, Jesus, the word, and that John, the witness, is just a man. So why also point out that he's not the light? At first glance, this might just seem like an interesting quirk in ancient writing styles, except that it occurs over and over and over, four more times at least. If you look at, at verses 19 through 20 in chapter one, John writes, and this is the testimony of John the witness, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, these are the words of John the witness himself. This is not being said about him the way it was in verse eight. This is the testimony of John. I am not the Christ. Not only is he not the Christ, but he says he's not the Christ, right? We already know he's not the Christ, but he says he's not. It's part of his witness. In fact, John the Apostle is so determined on making sure that we know exactly who John the Witness is not, that he continues to pile on the negatives of who the John, John the Witness is not throughout this passage. Again, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. He did not deny what? Well, he did not deny, I am not the Christ. He affirmed, I am not the Christ, and thus denied he was the Christ. That one hurt your heads a little bit? You only write like this when you're trying to make a very specific point. But he's not done making it. Verse 21, skip down a little bit farther. And they, the Pharisees, Levites again, asked asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Of course, he was Elijah in one sense. If we look at the other gospels, uh, it says in Luke 1.17, he had come in the spirit of Elijah. And Jesus affirms this as well in Matthew 11 but he was not the actual physical Elijah who had gone into heaven in the chariot of fire without dying. John the apostle still not done. Verses 26 and 27, John the witness answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Again, making sure it's clear, I'm not the guy you're looking for. And this is so important to our witness of Christ. We need to remember our place in relationship to him. I am not the light, verse eight. I'm not the Christ, verse 20. I'm not Elijah, verse 21. I'm not the prophet, verse 21. I am not worthy to untie his sandals, verse 27. And then John the witness himself beautifully describes our role as a witness to Jesus in John 3, 28 through 30, probably just over on the other side of the page or flip a page. So this is him talking. You yourselves bear, me, bear my witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John, John says, I am not the bridegroom. I'm just a friend. And when the bride comes and joins the bridegroom and everybody looks away from me to him, then my joy will be complete. John Piper says, this is the great not of our witness. We will not resent it when all attention turns to Christ and away from us. 
Psalms 115.1 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. This is the great knot of our witness. We must decrease and he must increase. We must make much of him. We must not make much of ourselves. Paul talks about a similar idea in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So he who plants and he who waters are not anything, but only God who gives the growth. And what we read earlier in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So what then is John? Well, he is John the witness, the necessary witness who is not the Christ. How does he describe himself? Go back to chapter one, verses 22 and 23. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He says, I am simply a voice. He's a voice, a witness. And in his mouth are not self-exalting words, but Christ-exalting words. John 1.15, that's also a weird aside in the middle of this great theological depth, which I think Matthews is going to get to that in two weeks, right? That's in yours. We see uh, a, a quick aside of, of John the Witness talking there. He says, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. I already read to us in Luke 1 that John is the older cousin of Jesus, but because Jesus is the word, he came way before John the Witness showed up. Other things John the Witness says, John 1.34, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. John 1.29, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Witness even sends his first disciples to Jesus in John 1.35 and 37. It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold the lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. These disciples of John who became Jesus' disciples, this was Andrew and John, the beloved disciple, the author of this gospel. For John the witness, it was never about him. It was always about Jesus. Remember this as we go forward into the world as lights for Jesus. Our goal is to be a reflection of who Jesus is so that they will pursue him, not us. I'm so thankful to be at a church like GBC, where the people we have in leadership do so with humility and an understanding that this is Christ's church. Thank the Lord that we've had men like Virgil Brown, who's planted this church, started this church, and Josh Howith, who led us through the pandemic, and Mike Dahl now, who have never made ministry about themselves or about GBC as the place to go to church in Gresham. The heart of our elders and leaders is for all people in East County to come to a saving faith in Jesus. We hope and pray daily that GBC is a church who makes that a priority and, and where people feel that they can be discipled and commissioned to be witnesses of the light. But at the same time, we support the other churches in our community who do that, uh, who do that as evidenced by us praying for them weekly up here. I've never been to a church that prays for other churches during a service time. That is rare and different, but it's a priority of this church. When people we love have decided to move on to other churches, our elders always make sure that those people know that they'll have a place here if they want to come back and also make sure that they are moving on to a gospel preaching church. He must increase, we must decrease. So here's the lesson for us. 
We must be his witnesses. Faith comes by hearing a witness, but we must not make much of ourselves. Beware of the witness that needs attention for themselves. Beware of the preacher who constantly angles to put himself in a good light and returns again and again to uh, his ministry and his own achievements. Beware of your own desire to seek the love and praise of the world. Remember that from the very beginning of John's gospel, there is a human witness to the light. That's our witness. Our witness is God's means for people knowing how to be at peace with him and safe from their sin. And our witness is a great not. He must increase, we must decrease. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for you coming as the word, as the light, as the life, for overcoming the darkness, uh, for providing a way for us to comprehend you. Uh, I thank you for the, the witness and testimony of all those who have come before us, of, of John the witness here and um, being willing to, to go forward and, and, and make sure that people understand it is not about him, it's all about you. I thank you for whoever it was that come to speak truth in, in the lives of each person in this room and whoever spoke truth in their lives and so on and so forth. And I pray that as we reflect on that spiritual heritage that uh, we would understand the commissioning that we have all received as a people to be witnesses of the light. God, I, I pray in this time of the Advent season uh, that we are, are, are reminded of the importance of the story of you coming and why you came and that throughout that story, throughout your ministry, it's all about people bearing witness to who you are and what you've done. So help us to do that. Uh, when we're at home with our families, when we're seeing neighbors, uh, when we're standing in line to buy those last minute Christmas presents, let us always be a witness of who you are. Provide opportunities for us to share the reason for the hope that we have. Let us be good reflections of you and may we be a people transformed because we have been saved from the darkness. I pray all these things through Jesus' name, amen.